Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of Bannering the Blue Shirts. My name is Tom Rich Jr. And as always, I'm joined by Mike Murphy. Mike, how are you doing on this fine Wednesday evening? I'm doing well. We got to watch this really bizarre and entertaining Rangers team do another crazy thing after having a lot of trouble with the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, we're recording the day after the Rangers put eight goals up on the Penguins, and actually on the same day where the Hartford Wolfpack had a 7-2 to two win. So, high-scoring day, or high-scoring 24 hours, I should say, in Rangers land, which is very fun, but it's been a wacky, wacky time because uh, since the last time you and I talked on the pod, Tom, uh, the Rangers made a trade, so Brendan Lemieux is no longer a Ranger, and what's interesting about that to me is no one really seems to care. Uh, and moving on now, uh, the story is Vitaly Kravstov, and everyone was so amped up to see him, and we haven't gotten to see a, a very much of Vitaly Kravstov at all, have we? No, and the Lemieux trade, um, at first it was, uh, I would say a surprise just from the standpoint of you didn't expect many people, or we don't expect many people to move before the deadline, and then this trade just comes out of nowhere. Um, and then we learned from Larry Brooks that Lemieux, through his agent, um, Claude Lemieux, his father, um, Brennan, you know, asked for a trade, and it was a situation where when he originally joined the Rangers from Winnipeg, he was in more of a top six role, he had some special teams um, playing time, but then this year, he obviously has the injury. I think it was broken bone in the hand. Um, I don't remember exactly. I know he broke something and he was out. And then when he returned to the lineup, it was just a situation where, you know, the Rangers moved on and he wasn't getting as much playing time. He was on the fourth line and he just wasn't as effective. And he obviously sees... The writing on the wall with how the team is built and the prospects within the system so he asks for a trade goes to LA he'll get somewhat of an opportunity there and that's pretty much it you know fourth round pick you look at the Rangers and how they've drafted it's obviously too early to say what that is going to look like and if anything it becomes additional currency depending on how the draft goes we've seen teams slide down move back with these types of picks but a pick is a pick and as we've seen the team has been able to find some late bloomers or uh, un you know unearth some gems in the later rounds so you got a fourth for Brendan Lemieux you free up over a million in cap space i don't complain and yeah that's really about the size of it yeah, there was a bit of a logjam, not like a tremendous one, but in terms of the guys the Rangers have been wanting to give a chance just because you have Kravstov entering the picture, you want to continue to find excuses and reasons to have Gautier in the lineup. And then, of course, you have these role-playing guys. You know, you have your Roonies and your DiGiuseppes and, of course, Blackwell. And, like, you know, you just look at what the bottom six is and you realize, oh, yeah, someone's got to move on. And, like, Brendan Lemieux... I think I had pretty low expectations for him when he came over and the thing that I underlined, uh, you know, when he was a part of that Kevin Hayes trade uh, to Winnipeg was, yeah, he can draw penalties, he's a pest. And the, like, 
the it is an asset to be able to draw penalties and it is an asset to have a good presence around the net and those are the two things he really seemed to do but looking at the underlying numbers he was never a guy who really created his own offense he was a vulture kind of a guy like a guy like a jimmy vc who would score goals around the net and find those opportunities and it it doesn't surprise me that things didn't work out it really really doesn't surprise me that he wasn't really able to carve out a role for himself as part of the future of this young core like there are a lot of young forwards to compete with on this rangers team where there's only enough spots on the boat to be a part of the young core and a guy like brendan the mew like does are his skills valuable i think they are um is he a headache and a nightmare in terms of playing against him and he's a guy at times who can be hard to come up with excuses for when he makes dumb decisions yes all those things are true um what's the most interesting thing to me about uh the rangers brendan the mew saga or his time in new york i should say is watching his ice time diminish watching other players get opportunities that he didn't get i.e you know a chance to kill penalties and things like that like Lemieux really didn't do much to give himself an opportunity with this play like you know hey did he make enough noise to be a fixture on power play unit two or anything like that where a guy like him like he needs that time and that opportunity to get in the box score right because how many goals is he going to score at five on five on the fourth line um it is inter- like you know you think the rangers made that trade the day after uh, eric stall was traded uh from buffalo and uh montreal gave up a third and a fifth um in this year's draft for for eric stall so that puts some context towards brendan lemieux bringing back a fourth and like getting a fourth round pick back for an nhl player can feel a little underwhelming tom but this this year's deadline is going to be so weird like i really don't have an issue with this just to get an asset back it would be great if it was a little more substantial a pick a little earlier in the draft but it is what it is and frankly this is a guy whose value is trending down right uh you know not to drag brendan lemieux's name through the dirt or anything but because he's definitely a guy who worked his ass off and did what he could do while he was in New York. But, um, you know, this was a, a guy who had a, you know, you're going to get a kind of diminishing returns on what he represents. It reminds me a little bit of what the Rangers ended up doing with uh, Vlad Nemestikov, where they got a guy who, like, Lemieux's ceiling in terms of trade value was nowhere near Vlad Nemestikov's, but... This is a guy who you realize you have him and he's either like a band-aid and maybe you give him a chance to carve out a role for himself in the bottom six for a couple of years and he wasn't able to do that part and to the point where he wanted to go elsewhere so we wish him nothing but the best of course in uh in la with with leah sanderson now it's interesting the rangers have had to kind of uh, i don't know if you, you would call brendan Lemieux a failed prospect i mean he was a younger guy but um you know he was an early second round pick of winnipeg to the point where he was almost a late first so it's interesting that this happens but it also makes a lot of sense in terms of the rangers jockeying their lineup and with all the forwards here and you know we've seen it you know as i was just before the podcast i was looking at what some of the ice times have been since uh quinn returned 
behind the bench, I think, was that Sunday game against Washington, that 5-4 to four loss, and trying to see what the ice time has looked like since Quinn has been back behind the bench. And, you know, there's got a lot of forwards, Tom, and there's only so, so much ice time. And you also have some things that are almost non-negotiable, especially when you see, like, the way that uh, Mika Zibanejad and Artemi Panarin are playing right now. I want them to have a lot of ice time <laughs> because uh, it's it's fun to watch and we want them to do well. And especially Artemi Panarin is paid in a way where he better have a lot of ice time. Um, so it's it's an interesting move the Rangers make. And like you said, a little bit unexpected, but that's what happens. The Rangers open up, uh, you know, a contract spot. You get, you know, what I would just call a satisfactory return in the trade. And we move on and it's still really, really uncertain what other moves the Rangers might make as the trade deadline is really looming now. I agree. And I think you touched on a couple of good things and it provides a good transition to, I think what a bulk of what we're going to talk about. Um, and we can touch on more specifics and so of the games, but the kids and Quinn, I think that I'm not overstating it by saying David Quinn is certainly a, I don't know how I would want to phrase it. Like it's obviously it's a hot button issue and hmm, I, I, it's hard because I don't know exactly how, because you have one contingent that's obviously very vocally loud fire Quinn you have another contingent who understands a little bit, but still isn't a fan of them. Then you have some who are putting it on not just Quinn, but it's also the front office. Um, and then you obviously have more of, I'd say, as a group, the beat writers who sort of look at it as like, oh, well, Quinn is in no way on the hot seat. And the reason I bring that up is because... I feel like I've seen in national media, um, whenever a coach was fired, you would see Quinn in, in terms of like odds up next. And he was towards the top of the list. And then you also had when the Rangers were in like a bit of a skiff earlier on, like, is David Quinn the right guy here? And then obviously him going on the COVID list and Knobloch going behind the bench and the team pretty much playing really well even though they were in constant communication and then you have some like well by Quinn not being there it's sort of like you know when you have a substitute teacher the general attitude relaxes a bit um, but I, I don't know where I fall on this I, I feel I've tried to be consistent in my approach where it's not so much the person but it's the process. And I feel that my problems with Quinn have been sometimes how he's expressed himself and, and things that he's, he's said that's alarming. Um, like after a loss earlier on, we've talked about this on other, sh other shows. It was something along the lines of, well, if I knew what the problem was, I'd fix it. Or talking <laughs> about, well, we, we weren't prepared or you know the effort wasn't there. So pretty much saying, like, um, these are controllable things. 
And then obviously you have most recently the lines changing and he's talking about the second line primarily why he moved Blackwell up and um, yeah. he moved yeah. Kako down and he's pretty much saying it comes down to like chemistry and consistency and completely overlooks that like Kako has been really good on that line. He's been stronger defensively than Blackwell. And he's been um, and looking really, is... really good lately, too. That's the thing that kills me. Is like, uh, It's one of those things where you, you... I don't mean to cut you off, but you have to wonder about what the coaches are looking for in terms of, like, is it just results? Is it the only thing that matter results? Or is it things like, oh, yeah, look at the rush Kako just made, and look how he's going hard to the net, and look at all these positive signs. And, like, does that count for something? And like you said, he's a much more balanced player than Blackwell is, I think. And furthermore, he's a guy who needs ice time to develop. And, you know, I love, love, love the Colin Blackwell story, Tom. But Colin Blackwell's 28 years old. <laughs> and uh, before the season, he had, what, like you know, 25 games in, in NHL, I think. So one of these guys should be getting more and more opportunities, as great as the Colin Blackwell story is. Um, it's interesting, very, very interesting, some of the decisions that Quinn has made. Right, and I would say that in a year where you're not facing an expansion draft, this becomes less of an issue because you don't have to worry about potentially losing someone like Colin Blackwell. And obviously he scores um, against Pittsburgh, and he's up to 10 goals on the season, which is pretty remarkable and it's it's not uh something to to overlook and i know there have been some people have made the point that blackwell was someone who was a little underlooked as a college player and then obviously he's undersized so there's that that he's fighting against and we've seen it time and time again where smaller players they are sort of um not i wouldn't say typecast but they have to overcome it's they can't just be talented. They have to, oh, are they going to be able to play the game at the NHL level? Are they going to have, you know, the wherewithal and, and, and be able to handle themselves? He He's had the underlyings to back it up. He's got the stats to back it up. Um, he's willing to step up for his teammates, no problem. So it's, it's not a, a Colin Blackwell thing. And the other part where I kind of push back on, and... I understood what he was saying on the broadcast. Um, Ravalikets talking about how you don't ever want a team to wave the you know the white flag. You know they want to be playing meaningful games down the stretch and trying to make the playoffs. So I I think I think you can do two things at the same time. One, you can prioritize young players giving them ice time, putting them in situations that they're going to need to learn how to perform in when this team gets to where it wants to be. So you want them comfortable driving the bus. You don't want them just coming along for the ride and, and playing a secondary role. Um, I, I think that the odds are long, and the, the shame of it is that in a typical setting you might say if you're turning it over to the kids you are and in, in, in place of the veterans 
it's a sign of okay you you are prioritizing development but you're putting yourself into a place where you can lose games but like the rangers have so much good young talent that playing them more will only benefit the team i i think in a net net situation they're going to generate a lot there will be situations where they make a bad defensive play or they um, miss a read or blow an assignment and all of that's fine like i'm trying to i want to find time to sort of rewrite um, a story that i did a couple of years ago but i think that you kind of know what you have in a lot of players you know what they're capable of your top six players they're going to get their time five on five they're going to get their time on special teams but right now Kako, Lafreniere, and Kravtsov, um, and Hedl to an extent, they're just getting what Quinn is giving them. And, like, I understand it's a tough spot because, yeah, Ryan Strom is playing really well. Um, I, I still think he's someone that ultimately gets traded um, some point in the future because I don't think they're going to buy into the hype and give him an extension. Like, obviously what he's doing is great. The money he's making, great. They're going to benefit it from as long as they can. But Philip Heedle is the only center under team control beyond next season. The Banajad is a free agent. Strom is a free agent. And we've not seen him in a primary role for an extended period to have a sense of how he's going to handle that pressure. And part of that's the team has not given him the opportunity to do so. Part of it, he's been injured. But for the rest of the way, as long as he's healthy, and I understand that he might still be battling something, but um, he's looked pretty good, you got to give him top six minutes so that we can go into next season saying, okay, here's how Heedle did in this deployment with these guys, we feel confident based on everything we've seen and what we saw down the stretch. Here's what his strengths are. Here's what his weaknesses are. We feel that he can be a top six center to complement whether it's a Jack Eichel, whether it's someone they trade for. Um, if they conversely, if they give him that leash and they say, you know what, we really like him and he's ultimately going to be like a really good third-line center, sort of like what Jordan Stahl was behind uh, Malkin and Crosby. That's another conversation, but it at least informs the team. And this is not to say that, you know, what Heedle is, um, he's going to be. Like, he still has a lot of time. He's really young. But it's more along the lines of the Rangers need to be operating in a continuum. It's like the the example I would say is like, you know, the classic episode of I Love Lucy when they're, you know, with the chocolates. Like, yeah, they're focusing on the chocolates in front of them, you know, getting them, you know, where they need to be. But there's still more coming down the pike. So you got to operate with the team now, what the team's going to be in the future as well. So I think that's also a consideration with Kraftsoff because you have Buchnevich who will be an RFA this summer. One year of contract eligibility until he's UFA status. Um, and, uh, you think that 
he's going to get an extension, then where does that leave Krasov? And conversely, if they view Butch as a piece, are they going to know enough about Krasov to say, you know what, we feel confident that we'll have Kako, we'll have Krasov, and then, you know, need be, we add someone. Um, I realize I've been talking a whole lot, um, and I'll no, but shut yeah, up. No, but yeah, I've been nodding along because these are, I think these are all valid questions, and you, I mean, what better example of what this season has been like than the Rangers, you and I talked about this just before we started the pod, and I know, I think you tweeted about it, and I was cracking up, like, this is the same Rangers team that needed OT in, in two games against the Buffalo Sabres, and then they beat Pittsburgh 8-4. to It's it's like, what the hell is this team? Um, <laughs> they're just so uh, mercurial and hard to figure out, and, like, when everything is clicking, it's like, Wow! Look at all the goals this goddamn team could score. Put up nine on the Flyers. Put up eight on the Flyers. Put up eight on the Penguins. And it's so fun. And then there are other nights it's like, why did we let Buffalo score in the dying seconds of the third period and then we had to win it in overtime? And then how the fuck did he lose to the Buffalo Sabres in a shootout, Tom? Like, Buffalo Sabres might be one of the worst teams we've seen in the modern era right now. It's... They lost 18 games in a row. <laughs> so it's really, uh, it's been a crazy season when you look at like, oh yeah, granted, Filippito was hurt. Uh, you know, he had, I think he missed 13 games uh, against what the team has played overall this season. But, you know, even with being careful with him, he's averaging 13 and a half minutes a game right now. That's less than he had in his rookie season when he had like nine games in 2017-18. And in 2018-19, he averaged 13.47. So that's down over a minute from last season, the regular season. Like that's, like you said, you're trying to figure out what this kid can do. So give him a goddamn opportunity to do something. I know what Ryan Strom has done is fantastic. And I'm one of the first people, like I'm, I have no issue with saying, have I underestimated Ryan Strom? Yes. And I was one of the people who was like, this guy has really good underlying passing metrics because he did. He had really good underlying passing metrics. And like when you looked at Spooner versus Strom, I wrote an article about it for banter when the trade happened. And one of Spooner's greatest strengths, ironically enough, was he was a very good passer. But what fascinated me was that actually Strom has creates even more goals and chances with his passing than Spooner. So I really liked the idea that the Rangers were strictly getting an upgrade on what was largely like a one-dimensional guy in in Strom at the time. And even with saying all of that and everything else and how great Strom's year has been, you got to find time for Filipito. Uh, whether it's on special teams, whether it's at even strength, you got to find time. And that goes double now for Vitaly Kravstov, especially after what happened to him last season. And especially after how things went with Leah Anderson. I mean, I would imagine a lot of these things are just clear and present in the the minds of the Rangers front office in terms of asset management and what you do with these young players and what some of the, like a couple of these failures to launch should be very alarming and should be dictating how things go in terms of how coaches handle young players, the opportunities they get. Like it shouldn't be lost on any of us that you know, the, the comments we saw out of Knobloch in terms of, of um, Kravstov with 
when he was in Hartford last season, he was just so dejected about not making the big club that he was kind of unresponsive. He wasn't a great player to coach in Hartford. Like, you're the New York Rangers. Shouldn't you have someone sitting down with this kid and saying, hey, you're a teenager. It's okay. <laughs> like, it's okay that you didn't make the NHL team right away. Everything's going to be okay. Uh, we're, we believe in you. We're investing in you. And you're going to work on your game here. And instead, what happened? He was a healthy scratch for a bunch of games. His game fell to shit. And he went back to Russia. And then his game continued to fall to shit in Russia. And it's so great that he bounced back this year in the KHL. But, wow. These things are pretty important, Tom. Especially for a team that, you know, with the addition of Kravstov, like on MSG, I know I was talking about, this is the youngest team in the league, and they just got even younger. That's awesome. So play the young guys. Right. And I think also, and it's I'm glad that you brought it up with Knobloch and how he, he talked about Kravtsov and how... how Very interesting, though, yeah. yeah, and then how, you know, he also was careful to say, like, when he came back, you know, how he had the work ethic and everything. So that was good, too. But I think therein lies something that the Rangers have have struggled with and it's the concept of meritocracy and like not to beat a dead horse because we've had this conversation before um, when Leah Sanderson was still with the organization and him versus Howden um, and, and how you have clear situations where two players are in similar situations. One performs better than the other, but they don't get the bump. Um, and it, it's, the same thing where with the line changes where you're kind of sending the wrong message and I think of it and and people might push back on this and I, I think of things this way mostly because like you know I think of like you know my brother's 21 years old and I more so think about like you know um, how kids his age think and you know hearings like at times you know um, conversations you know we have and, and stuff and we just talk about life um and how things are, are different like not to go like oh well back in my day but like you have clear examples of how you know people of a certain age are are motivated differently or they they process um things differently where it's important at times to validate what it is that they're doing, you know, good, bad, and different, just having that conversation and rewarding people for their efforts. Like if you're, yeah, you are a professional athlete, but if you are someone that you hear what you need to work on and there's been no shortage of times when trying to defend lineup decisions, um, we look at it last year with Kako and how he, he was legitimately um, bad defensively. You know, part of that, I think it's getting used to the league and stuff like that. But he makes this massive turnaround, and he's one of the best defensive players on the team in complete transition from last year. And the offense is starting to come a little bit um, because he's doing the right things. He's putting himself in the right area. People have said it. He needs to be quicker shooting. He needs to be more confident in himself to take shots. But part of that, and this is not to, you know, say someone is, is doing the wrong thing or he's not confident, but is that tentativeness that 
not wanting to take a bad shot or being selfish, is that not a symptom of, well, if I do the wrong thing, I'm going to get demoted and I'm going to have to change my game up? Because, like, I, I don't remember the exact quote, but I remember, like, at the time, like, you know, it's almost like the Rangers were trying to have Crafts or, or Kako play differently than the player he was when he was drafted. Like, he played a certain way. He became a you know, top prospect for, for a certain reason. I feel like this year he's been back to the player we, we saw the highlights of and why we got so excited um, in addition to adding the defensive element of his game. But, yeah, you can say all the right things, but if you're demoting players or you're messing up with lines and you're intimating that you know something needs to change because the mix isn't right and you're not calling out a player... But it's not hard to figure out, like, if, if you're moved off the line, then it's easy to interpret, like, you were what wasn't working there. I can see how that leads to players second-guessing themselves. I can see how that leads to players being more conservative and being more, okay, I'm not going to make a risky play. Because it's all this bullshit of, oh, playing well in all three zones and playing, you know, 200-foot game. Some of the best offensive players in the league are the best offensive players in the leagues because they really don't give a fuck what's going on in their own zone. They put yeah. themselves in a position where they can cheat a little bit and they can get an extra step so when someone you know wins a puck battle, feeds it to them, and they're off to the races. Like, I'm not advocating anyone to be like cherry-picking, but you, you want to be able to let players play to their instinct. Like... If that means that every so often they're going to give up a goal or two, but they're going to score five or six, at the end of the day, it's still a net positive. So you don't want to limit their offense by asking them to be better defensively. Because like, I get the, the idea of, like, well, you can create offensive situations by playing good defense. But yeah, but some players don't have an electric first step, so they need to try and get extra space any way that they can. So that might involve them cheating a little bit. Um, but it's just... The Rangers have always wanted to develop their own talent. Like, they traded pick and pick and pick year after year after year. And I just find it odd that they get a number one and number two overall pick. And we've seen all around the league, like, teams get these number one or number two picks. And they just blossom. It's almost like they're not letting them do what they do. They're trying to conform the player to the system instead of adapting the system to the player, if that makes any sense. Well, yeah, I think, isn't it true? I think it's, laugh is, in terms of first overall picks getting ice time, laugh is like historically low in terms of the ice time he's getting, right? I think lowest since Vinny LeCavalier. Yeah. Which is, that in and of itself is such a, like, wrap your head around that for half a second. Like, absorb that versus people who are, like, wringing their neck, like, their collar and being like, I don't know, this guy's not very productive. Look at who he's playing with. Look at the ice time he's getting. Look at the, like, the power play ice time he's getting. 
like how important is it for like a young especially a teenager who's all about what his offensive skill set is to develop those skills and to really like showcase them on the power play the problem is the rangers have a top power play unit where there's there's like no not, not a lot of room for Alexis Lafreniere and that sucks for him but like you said it's they're not necessarily going out of their way to build around him right away and to like accommodate his skills or to do things like I don't know let's try and find the right center for Alexi Lafreniere what it feels more like is let's just get him on the third line um so hopefully he can have like uh, positive matchups in terms of facing you know a third defensive pair as opposed to to a top pair on every other shift and you know in in this case lately it's been that means we get to watch the fun kids line of him Filipino and Capo Caco which is awesome and I love the kid line what I love even more is if that kid line saw something more like you know second line minutes of even strength because that's what that kid line needs is you know the Rangers really in a more perfect world they'll have you know kind of three second lines and a more even distribution of what that ice time looks like and even though it might kill some people to acknowledge or rather embrace like are you trying to say Panarin and Zibanejad need less ice time right now they're so red hot it's like yeah because guess what Rangers aren't winning the cup this year if you if you want to develop these guys I think you need to give them the opportunity and that's one of the reasons why maybe the Rangers do something on deadline day, but I still have no idea what the hell they're going to do. You had something to say, Tom. Yeah, I mean, I think you touched on it there, and I think the easiest solution right now is you demote Chris Kreider. Um, not to... You have to, yeah. Not to, like, single him out, but if you look at the numbers, Lafreniere, Zibanejad, Buchnevich, they had some time earlier this season, um... You know, pretty up and down results, but again, you have to consider that Lafreniere was adjusting to not playing for many months. So if you give that line a spin again, it creates for an opportunity where it's not a third line of kids just fending for themselves, but you take a guy in Kreider who is really fast, can get into pucks that are, you know, dumped in, and he can play hard around the boards and he can create space and he can do a lot of the dirty work which you know frees up some responsibility for for crafts off and it gives him um some cover there which which i think would be beneficial um and like it's possible what you're suggesting and it wouldn't even so much be giving less ice time to zibanejad or panarin it would really be saying we're going to be primarily a third line team we're going to be a pr primarily a three-line team and yeah, giving exactly. the fourth line, you know, every, you know, give them a, a spin every so often. And obviously you can manage it depending on how the games go, like how many draws you're having in the defensive zone, offensive zone, neutral zone, so, so on and so forth. But any decrement, those top guys get at five and five. It's It doesn't really matter because they're still going to get you know, time on the power play. And conversely, if you have a game where you're having a lot of power play time, then you shorten their leash five on five and be like, you know what, we have to we have to play catch up. Um, and to me, it's it's just you have a you have a team that's almost like you're trying to 
serve two objectives. One, the front office, for whatever reason, wants them to play for the playoffs. And then there's also development. And it's hard to do both at the same time. And I believe that they're prioritizing the playoffs because, like, as Quinn said, it's all about winning. And we saw, yeah, they went to uh, overtime and won versus the Sabres. And the game after that, quote, they lost in the shootout. And then they find a way to blow the doors off the Pittsburgh Penguins. So I think that once the trade deadline comes and goes and rosters are frozen, for lack of a better word, We'll have a better sense of the teams that are actually in the hunt. Um, it'll be interesting to see teams ahead of the Rangers in the standings, what they do to shore up, upgrade, and, and try and boost their um, chances. But I think there's a better way. And yeah, we're saying this after a game where they scored a bunch of goals, but like if you look at money pucks um, deserve a win meter, they really did not deserve to win that game. So you take the points, you run, and you regroup for Thursday. So um, there is one kid that we did not talk about, but we will talk about him after uh, a nice little ad break. So we'll give him the, the time he deserves. So we will be right back. Thank you for listening to Bannering the Blue Shirts. We are back from the break. Um, Adam Fox. Wow, Adam Fox. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, ever since he wrote that article, um, I've been paying a little more attention. And Shana wrote a great article about Fox. And, um, you know, Dan Rosen, like, I remember Dan Rosen's tweet or something. He caught a lot of flack for it where... Adam Fox will be a part of the Norris conversation once he proves you know, he's a little more, this establishes himself, blah, 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 blah. It's like, is the Norris Trophy a fucking lifetime achievement award, or is it you're the best defenseman in a single season? And, you know, arguably, part of that is like, are you the most valuable defenseman to your team? Quasi, but more accurately, it's if you're the best defenseman, which, which in the NHL means you're the best defenseman who also happens to put up a lot of points. And Tom? Right now, there's only one defenseman in the league who has more points than Adam Fox. That's crazy. <laughs> like, uh, and of course, that defenseman is Victor Hedman. Um, that, like, wrapping your head around that, like, this guy is this good, this fast. I cannot believe he's this good, this fast. So I think they're actually tied now. They're tied now? Oh, why not? I mean, Adam Fox is scoring streak and points all like and picking up points like oh yeah a little five assist game will do that for you uh, to close the gap i know let's see i yield although it's weird because like i have it on NHL.com and headman's picture comes up and i don't know why but 
I wonder if they explain it somewhere how they short tiebreakers, but 39 games played for Hedman, 36 points. Um, 37 games for Fox, 36 points. So I wonder if they're using goals as the tiebreaker. Yeah, why wouldn't the fewest games played be the same? Yeah, because points per game, it's, you know, Fox leads by five basis points. So, um, and, you know, defensively, I think um, Fox's metrics are better this year, although I don't... uh, I don't have them in front of me, but like Fox is really good and he was really good last year too. And like, when you look at the side by side impact charts, um, like he's, it's pretty much the same. And what I'll be interested in is for next year. Um, because like, not that it needs much validating because you can see just how he plays the game in positioning and how he reads things and how, um, He's able to find plays with great vision. What it'll be like when he's playing all the other teams in the league. And I would say, to be quite honest, like, yeah, there's going to be some really elite teams out there, but he should even have an easier time. Because if you think about it, you're playing the same teams night in and night out. Eventually, they're they're going to say, okay, we have film yeah, on we Adam. Yeah, we figured this kid out. Yeah, we know how to solve Adam Fox. Yeah, yeah but teams haven't really solved adam fox also this division yeah also not for nothing this division is not easy (laughs) it's this is a very tough division to be playing teams all the time and adam fox has been this good in this division against some of these offenses and also goaltenders and defenders because the watching the way he's played lately is just like it's one of those like the shorthanded goal he scored in you know the the eight to five win you know, it was a play like, you know, Mika made such a great play on a four check. I think it was Matheson who he, he stole it from. Um, the the second best Matheson in hockey, by the way. His wife's a better hockey player. And he stole the puck and centered it right to Fox, who read the play great. He saw the four check was successful and that Mika created the turnover. And then Fox just rips it home and you see, you know, the score bugs. Oh, it's the fifth goal of the season. And you're like, yeah, five goals seems good. And then you look at Adam Fox's assist numbers, and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> like, on a team where you have Artemi Panarin, maybe you don't notice it as much, but Adam Fox is involved in so much of the Rangers' offense. It's bananas. Seventh in the league in assists. So it's McDavid, Dreisaitl, Kane, <laughs> Marner, Kopitar, McKinnon, Adam Fox. Yeah, it's pretty good company, Tom. It's pretty good company to have. Um and yeah, obviously he's top power play unit and, and all those things help, but and he's been healthy and all those things are wonderful, but this is, a, this is this is a sophomore season. And this was a guy who last season wasn't getting any respect because as you and I talked about in the last show, it was just the wrong year to be a rookie defenseman for for Fox just because there were two other guys who who were much more hyped up who had a lot more attention on them. Um, and even though the guy playing in fucking New York City who had an amazing rookie season, was just generally overlooked. And now people are like, you know, every time Sam says, we haven't seen this sort of thing since Brian Leach. And the first couple of times Sam said it, it was really adorable because we remember him saying it about like, you know, Tom Pody and Del Zotto and, you know, D'Angelo. But yeah, McDonough and, oh, Sam, my sweet Sam. But now when he says it about Adam Fox, you're like, holy shit, Sam, you're right. This is the best guy we've had since Brian Leach. So it's really crazy. Uh, one, what the mainstream media in hockey seems to think about Adam Fox, but two, just the way he's playing. And 
and I know a lot of people like I think Ryan Lindgren deserves a lot of credit for playing the role he plays and for bleeding buckets and buckets of blood all the time but I, I really can't wrap my head around how important Adam Fox is to this team this fast he is this important this fast and this happened after the Rangers went like they threw a Hail Mary to get Jacob Truba here and gave him a huge fat contract saying this is the guy we're going to build our defense around Tom and they send a couple of draft picks to Carolina for a guy who didn't want to sign there and wanted to be a Ranger and he's now obviously the guy you build the defense around oh 100% and I think part of it also where like I understand how fans in other markets might feel you know, Rangers fans are getting obnoxious about Adam Fox. But part of the problem is Fox finishes fourth for the Calder, and you look at ballots that he wasn't even considered on, and there was just this love fest over Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr. Now, obviously, this is not to say that Kale McCarr is not a great defenseman. This is not to say that Quinn Hughes isn't a good defenseman. Um, but when you stack them up against... Adam Fox, like, if you're going to have a hierarchy of things, like, right now it's McCarr, um, then it's Fox, not too far behind him, and then there's a gap, like, production-wise, when you consider on-ice metrics, you know, scoring, um, you know, Gar and everything, then it's Quinn Hughes, but you still have all of these stories, like, oh, if you're building a franchise, which defenseman are you taking? Are you taking Kale McCarr? Are you taking Quinn Hughes? And, Frankly, like that's even somewhat disrespective, uh, disrespectful to like Makar's teammates. Like Sam Gerrard has had an amazing season, and he's not really getting talked about either. Um, Devin Taves, who the uh, you know Colorado Avalanche stole from the New York Islanders, he's having a really good season too. Um, so when you look at what Fox is doing, like obviously the point streak, obviously being where he is, the offensive numbers. Like, that's important in the sense of you have a large contingent of media um, who only care about certain players if they have those offensive numbers. But the important ones, the defensive metrics, you know, shot suppression, all that stuff, even looking at Fox's impact on the penalty kill, um, where I think he was first or second um, in, in that regard. I think Lindgren was, you know, better than him or right behind him respectively like that's really really good for a guy in his second season and he's starting to get the credit he deserves and it's just a real revelation for this and, and to me in my mind you like you're gonna have to pay him at some point but to have him <laughs> as young as he is you know with Truba who I, I think Jacob Truba deserves credit for how he's played this year and then potentially Nils Lundqvist, like that's a dream scenario on the right-hand side in defense and not even beginning to talk about the left with Miller, who's been great, uh, Lindgren, who's been solid too. And then you have, take your pick of, of prospects to eventually take that third spot, whether it's Zach Jones or Robertson or, or even someone else they bring in. Um, but Fox is just, he's such a delight to watch just because it doesn't matter what end of the what end of the ice he's on. Like either he's scoring a goal, making an amazing play, um, you know, threading the needle, or he's breaking something up. And it's just really entertaining to watch and, and 
as much as we like sort of raved around like Ryan McDonough, who I feel still gets somewhat underrated and overlooked, like Fox is just on a completely different level and it's it's really impressive to see and I don't think anyone expected this, frankly. Well, Fox is the player we were all like the best version we had fantasized of what D'Angelo could be. Fox is twice that player because he's good in his own zone as well. Um, and watching him reach these heights this fast is so exciting. But like the dream scenario you paint with down the right side with Lundquist and Truba and Fox is awesome. The only asterisk I'd add to that is, uh, Jacob Truba's contract. Yeah. It's, it's something. Um, that's not to say you can't work around it, but the Rangers need, good God, they need to be careful with, with contracts and everything moving forward because you go through all this rebuild time. You have all these pretty babies, all these lovely babies you got to protect. You got to hold them close to your bosom. You got to kiss their forehead and you got to make sure they, they grow up right in, in the right way. And uh, these babies need contracts soon. It's awesome we have this many players on ELCs because... A lot of these mistakes from the past that have haunted the team for a couple of years are not as bad, and that's a big help. And I don't know, a couple of buyouts didn't help either. But um, you really do have to think long term. Like, oh yeah, what's it going to cost to like if a fully developed uh, Alexi Lafreniere, first overall pick, what's he going to cost when he, <laughs> you know, when he really becomes the player he's supposed to be? What's that contract look like, Tom? What's that contract? What what does Capocacco's contract looks like if he if he becomes a player he's supposed to be? And then, you know, these are all not terrible problems because that means a lot of your Rangers are hitting on a lot of these kids. But um, it really makes you appreciate the hell out of contracts like what Mika Zibanejad was just on and what Pavel Buchnevich was on, and it also makes you really kind of you know sweat a little bit looking at the investment the Rangers made in Jacob Truba so quickly after doing the Panarin contract. Like, I don't blame the Rangers because who the hell would have thought this is what Adam Fox would be already? Like, I really, truly don't blame them. And like you said, credit to Jacob Truba. He's playing a lot more like Truba this year, which is awesome. And even he's, you know, missed time with, with, with injury and everything. But it's a really, really interesting thing to think about how all these pieces are going to fall into place. And... It's funny because this only really supports what you were saying before is like you really want to know what you have with these kids because you need to evaluate the talent you have. You need to develop it, obviously. And the Rangers have such a unique situation with being the youngest team in the league. And, you know, we don't get to see like the ice time Filipino has gotten this season is really hard to wrap your head around. And I understand like, yeah, we don't want to take Ryan Strom away from Artemi Panarin. It works. We're n- we don't want to break that up. I get it. I get it. But if the right call, like if the right, o- if the right offer comes on deadline day for Ryan Strom, make the goddamn trade. <laughs> Do it. Right. To that point, Ryan Strom is almost like a perfect piece when you are contending for a Stanley Cup and you have, you're looking for something to balance out your lineup. Um, like you're yeah. trying to you want to turn a third line into a second line that can score some team out there exactly and and to my point like 
in terms of development is, and I look at it like this. So you bring up contracts, which are obviously very important. By identifying players and getting as good of an idea of, of them as you can, it prevents that middle contract, which we've seen blow up in the Rangers' face in, in terms of, so, okay, a player doesn't get a fair shake you know, or we don't get enough of, of a knowledge of them on their entry-level contract. But we like them enough that we're obviously going to keep them around. We're not going to trade them. So we give them this bridge deal, and then it's like, holy crap, they can really play. Now they're springboarding off this bridge into a massive contract. So players are always going to bet on themselves. But, like, if you can have an inkling of what a Filipino is going to be, like, that's where you say, like, you know what, Phil, um, we kind of like what you've been done, and we, we believe in you. What's What do you think about signing, like, a um, four-year deal at such and such amount, and where it's you're paying a little more up front, and I'm just using Hedl as a hypothetical example. Um, we're paying up a little more than you maybe are worth right now, but we're banking on you know, in year four of that deal or year five of that deal, like, you're going to be a steal. Um, and we kind of saw them avoid that, like, when they gave Ryan McDonough the long-term deal at $4.7 million. Um, we saw them avoid that a little bit with, with Kreider getting, you know, his 4.6. So, like, they were able to get players and, and not get, get screwed in the middle where they kind of had that happen when they couldn't, they didn't have the cap space and they had to give Derek Stepan that uh that bridge and then he obviously launched off it you know almost doubled in value yeah and, like there are risks to doing that like uh, an example that always comes to mind for me tom is like olimata or an, another one that is a little more recent is like christian dvorak like arizona took that path for a lot of their younger guys being like this guy is probably gonna pan out christian dvorak like Who's to say he's not going to pan out, right? <laughs> and, like, you can't blame teams for thinking that way, but, like, but then, of course, you end up with, like, teams doing things, like, with guys who we already know what they are, like, the Bruins and the John Moore contract, for the rest of my days, it'll it'll hurt my head why they did that. I, I'll never understand that decision. But, thankfully, this isn't a Boston Bruins podcast. But, like... There are examples of when you, you find that situation you were just describing with the Rangers and Hedl where it's like, we like what we've seen so far. We want to make this marriage permanent or as permanent as it can be in pro sports. We want to pay you earlier than you might get paid now, whereas you might stand to lose money on this deal long term. But for a player, especially a young player, it's an attractive deal because you get the money up front and you can get a big juicy signing bonus built into it and all those things and the other thing is if you're a guy who's in love with playing where you're playing like a filipino might be then you get the security too and who knows you can you know you can negotiate some sort of like clauses or whatever and of course any fan no matter how much you love filipino you should be saying no trade don't give them any trade clauses uh don't give them a no trade clause or a no movement clause but when you're a young player you can try and get you can use those positions for leverage and what is most interesting to me about that approach is like when it pays off it's incredibly valuable to your team 
And one of the strongest examples is the Mika Zvanjad contract. Mika Zvanjad's 5.35 on the cap, Tom? It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Oh, yeah. And Gooch is in that territory now, too, with his the the two-year deal he signed. But the other thing is, like, Imagine if the Rangers offered Booch a five-year deal or a six-year deal and paid just a little bit more on the cap. How much money might they be saving? And then right, there would be exactly. no question of you make room for Booch and what does Booch become? The best right winger on the team? Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, they, they certainly have a lot of things. Kills penalties now, too, Tom. It doesn't all. I hope he gets his payday. Um, I think he's more than exceeded any expectations and you just look at how he compares to people taken in his draft year and he he rates out pretty well so i think that's something that should get done but like like we said at the beginning every every decision has a consequence and it sets off a chain reaction which is why you know at least in my perspective i don't try and get um super mad about things like i'm more like i said it's the process and you know all how everything's connect and when you do one thing you're potentially adversely affecting another so we're, we're approaching the end of the show here tom but i wanted to ask you a fun question sure which guy on this team right now is the most likely to be traded so it's just, it's just me picking someone just pick pick someone and tell me why so trade deadline or um deadline day yeah deadline day deal so the most likely not like this trade makes the most sense this is just the trade that's most likely to happen like is some team out there gonna say you know what give us colin blackwell we'll give you a fucking fifth round pick or give us phil de giuseppe or is some team gonna say fuck it we really need the goalie give us georgie and the rangers say that's fine we'll roll with keith kincaid until the end of the year so i have two Two is fair, because I did put this put you on the spot. So one forward, one D. So I see Colin Blackwell as a very interesting target in the mold of, you know, um, Barkley Goudreau, um, in the sense that, like, it was a player that had an extra year of term on his deal and was productive in, you know, a variety of roles as a like a utility player who you want to keep on your third line at best um, but can sort of move around and then also um, as long as a team doesn't have like expansion problems like that's great value for next season so Blackwell on the forward spot is, is definitely someone just because like the Rangers internal math it's not going to work out long term when you have Kako and Buchnevich and Kraftsoff and like Blackwell and Gautier and you know selling high on a guy like Blackwell isn't sexy but it's smart right like you're not going to get a deal where you're like ah oh, fuck yeah look at this you know you get like a fucking fifth rounder out of it but it's still a win well I could even see him getting like a I could see him getting like a third round pick to be quite honest like that it might depends on what the hell happens on deadline day with the market it's going to be so weird because teams with the cap situation and everything else and then on top of that the complications of the expansion draft it's really interesting to me what's going to happen and what teams do. And like with each trade that we see roll in, I'm looking at it with a magnifying glass because I'm like, all right, so what is this team thinking? How does this factor into expansion? Or is this like everyone expects, I think a lot of people are talking about how the Islanders are probably going to move there first because the Islanders are going to want to try and swing for it. And like, I get it. 
But what 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 are they hoping to buy for first, right? Paul Mary, um, maybe. Yeah, like what are, what are they hoping to buy? That's the question I have because what is the market set? Like you look at the Eric Stahl trade, you look at the Lemieux trade. I don't know. It's super interesting to me. So who's your D then? You have uh, Blackwell, which makes perfect sense to me. And who's your D? Brendan Smith, because he's in an expiring contract. The Rangers can retain half. He has playoff experience. He's a veteran guy. And I just feel like precedent-wise, like you look at like Zach Bogosian, um, you know, was someone who um, was on Tampa, although I think that was a buyout. And then he, he signed as a, a free agent. But, like, you look at all these teams and they want, like, a guy who's good in the room um, – and Smith has redeemed himself this year, and, like, he's even shown that he can play forward if needed. So, like, there will be teams that kind of like that. And um... also, also, not for nothing, he's been a pretty good teammate. I think the, the Rangers wouldn't turn down the opportunity to do Brendan Smith a solid and trade him to a playoff team. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, if there's a chance for him to win and it's, um, you know, something that, that fits for him, like, I think that would be kind of cool. Um, like, not saying that it would happen, but I feel like um, they were interested in him before the Rangers acquired him from the Red Wings, but um, he's a Toronto area guy, and, you know, the Leafs are always a team, like, you know, never can have enough D in your rotation, and, you know, maybe Brendan Smith, they finally uh, acquire him, like, you know, I'm, I'm saying this completely off the top of my head, like, you know, not having a, a an understanding of what their, their D, you know, looks like currently. But, you know, um, I, I just think in any any team might be interested in Brendan Smith just because of, like, you know, the factors of, you know, has playoff experience, is good in the room, you know, having a decent year and, like, he'd be fine, like, on a third pair role, um, you know, on a really good team. So... Um, that's who I have. I like those picks. I definitely am right there with you on Blackwell. Um, and like, like I interjected, like selling high on a Colin Blackwell might not be sexy, but it is smart. And especially when you're in the, the position the Rangers are in, um, I, I can see the Smith angle too. And I'm sure the Rangers in the back of their head were like, maybe we can do with Jack Johnson what, what, with what we tried to do with Adam McQuaid. But of course, that ship has sailed with Jack Johnson's injury, and I can't really think of another defenseman uh, that they would move. Like I'm sure there's tons of potential for an AHL deal uh, on, on some level, and um, looking at the rest of the forward group, I don't know. Like you have a couple of guys where it's a little tricky. Like Gautier's role in this team is anything but guaranteed. And I would hope the same is true of Brett Howden. Um, but, you know, Rooney is an interesting guy for the same reason Blackwell is. He was signed for two years. And and he's a guy who's really kind of proven, you know, the un- like people who look at underlying numbers are like, yeah, Kevin Rooney's a smart defensive forward who's dirt cheap and who's not going to hurt your lineup. And he really has proven that in New York. That, like, it wasn't exactly a theory before he signed with the Rangers, but... Kevin Rooney's been exactly what he was supposed to be. You know what I mean? And he's not really remarkable, Tom, but when he only takes up 750 k that does make him somewhat remarkable, especially for teams that 
are like, hey, we want to go to the playoffs. We're going to be a playoff team for the next few years. We need a penalty killer. We need a fourth-line center. Kevin Rooney can do that for you. And maybe that's a guy who people look at. I don't know if people have the same attitude about Phil DiGiuseppe, but he is the lone pending UFA forward on the Rangers' books right now. And just because that is the case, I'd say he should be mentioned here. But again, he seems to be the lowest forward on the totem pole in terms of uh, in terms of like the veteran guys who are not kids trying to find a way into the lineup. You know, he's the guy. He has a lower lower value on the team than Rooney and Blackwell do. I don't know about Georgie, though. It's Georgie's weird to me just because it really doesn't feel that long ago that people were like, ah, fuck. We didn't trade Georgie when we could have. And now his value's tanked because Keith Kincaid had a couple good games. And then Georgie had an okay game. And, uh, and now Igor Shosturkin is getting all the starts. And it's really hard to know where the Rangers really stand on Georgie. And it, it almost feels like uh, this is after all the opportunities they had to make a deal with Georgiev. This probably isn't the right one to do it because you'd be selling a little low. And I, I'm not going to lie. I don't hate the idea of of having him around, of having Georgie around as, as the backup for the foreseeable future, like three or four years. I got nothing nothing against that, especially if you don't have to pay him too much. Because that's another fun contract, Tom, is uh, Igor's an RFA after this year. Isn't that fun? <laughs> yeah. And he's 25. So... Clock is ticking. Clock? The clock? Igor is new to the NHL, but he's not new to to winning pro hockey games. And he has every right to be like, hey, I'm the starter of an original six team, and I'm the best goalie you've had since Henrik Lundqvist. Get out the checkbook. Here we go. But don't you know the clock is ticking on whether he can be the starting goalie of the future or not? Mm. I thought I read that somewhere. Oh, did you? That's fun. Maybe maybe it was an Onion article. Who knows? Is the <laughs> Onion even care about the Rangers? Probably not. Well, on that note, um, thank you everyone for listening to the show. Uh, we're thankful for your support, and we apologize for the, uh, the break in... A show of a week, um, you know, life things happen, you know, busyness. Um, There's a pandemic going on, folks. We're doing our goddamn best here. Yes, and we do appreciate all of your support. Um, Adam Clendenning, Adam Nahoek, Ian Gaspar, Amriel Kistner, Anna Chicagov, Andy White, Bjarner Osterheim, Captain America, Chris Marco Trigiano, Clark Carroll, Daniel Gizen, Doris from Regal Park, um, Frank Menino, Jamie Bussold, Jason Silverman, Jeff Owen, Jermaine Francis, John Predzapelski, John Reppy, Jordan Sassone, Justin Walsh, Kevin Mead, Kush Tastic, Connell Palatano, Matt Bader, Matthias Olson, Michael Marcus, Michael Silvers, Nikolai Hoffman, Panarin2020, Patrick Landolt, Brynell Powerhouse, Sean, Stieg Bialbach, Tolkai Rob, The Tin Man, Tori from Manhattan, and Trevor Kempner. Uh, thank you everyone for your support. Um, means a lot. We understand, you know, obviously, as Mike said, we're in a pandemic and People need to change how they allocate their funds, and we totally get it. Um, your situation changes. Not a big deal. We appreciate any support you can give, even listening to the show, liking our articles on Twitter, retweeting, you know, commenting on the site. Any and everything, or nothing at all, um, we certainly uh, appreciate it.
Well, the nothing at all doesn't go a long way. The the clicking on things goes a very long way. Well, yeah. I mean, I was trying to be somewhat nice. Like, you know, well, I understand, I'm you know. I'm going to shoot okay. straight. I'm going to tell it like it is out here. Especially for... You? For Never. For smaller... Like, we're, we're a block. We're not a, the New York Post. Every click matters. Especially for... If you really like someone who's writing about the Rangers or any of your other sports teams and they're a blogger or there's someone who doesn't do this full-time, in other words, they don't get benefits and they don't have a lot of job security, support their work. It means a lot. It matters. Yeah, share what you like. Like, don't be dunking on things for stupid reasons. Like, I've tried to be better about this and, uh, you know, not share things that are stupid, um, you know. And uh, it's good advice. Um, definitely check out Shana's story in The Athletic uh, and Adam Fox. Oh, yeah. If you're not Shana's already, I don't know what you're doing. Um, you know, anything that Shana Goldman Banner. kid. She's going places, it tells you. I think so. I think so. She's going places, it tells you. As always, Mike, I appreciate you. Um, I hope appreciate you, know. you too, buddy. It was a good show. Good show this week. I think so. I hope the listeners do. Um, be well. If uh, you know you're getting your shots, really great. Uh, it's important, you know, as we move forward. We saw the Rangers, you know, post today that. Uh, yeah, that was nice to see. Many players and staff have elected to get it, and they also encourage all Rangers fans to to get vaxxed up. And I got my first shot. I know Tom, you have your shot, and I yep, second have shot my... yesterday. Yeah, second shot yesterday, so you're all fully vaxxed, and in three weeks I get my second shot of Moderna, and uh, I've been helping coordinate with some of my brothers to help them out. Um, I hope everyone, I know it's been such a nightmare, especially for folks in the tri-state where most of our listeners are, and I know in New Jersey in particular, it has been awful trying to find a way to schedule a vaccination appointment. All I can say is stick with it, try to be patient. Try to understand it's a process. It's a giant pain in the ass, but this is something we got to do. If we want to get back to normal, whatever the hell normal means and whatever normal is, this is how we do it. Uh, we all take this step. And thank you to everyone who's doing it. Thank you to everyone who's doing it thinking about not just yourself, but other people and keeping other people safe and healthy. It's important. Um, it's one of those things where... You got to do what you got to do. This is just one of those things where it's this is the best thing we can do. So let's do it. And be good to people. Listen to people. Take care of each other. Be nice. All those important things. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Be well. Bye-bye. Take it easy. Bye-bye.